Folks, we're going to continue tonight in our study in uh, the Epistle to Galatians. And, you know, we're dealing with the church, uh, and, you know, we use that word kind of generically, but we're dealing with the body of Christ that was there at the place of Galatia in Gaul that was built really upon the foundation of faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. That's what we're dealing with. So we're dealing with the church that had personally experienced that relationship with God uh, that really can only be known through the grace and mercy that's provided by that death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with some obscure people that have never uh, had any type of revelation, never type of, any type of understanding. We're talking to a people that have grown and developed and have been experienced in intimacy with Christ Jesus. And, and folks, you know that changes everything. You know, as we minister many times out in the marketplace, you know, obviously our marketplace here in New Orleans is most oftentimes not. It's the French Quarter, uh, specifically uh, a couple nights a week there on Bourbon Street. And, uh, you know, we, we deal with people a lot of times that do not have a working knowledge of God. They just don't. You know, and we take that for granted sometimes because we think that because people were, were raised in, in the United States or the Western culture, that somehow that they just through osmosis and somehow... Uh, because of the great proliferation of information, they have an understanding of God. But folks, you know what I found out that they really don't. You know, I remember a, a number of uh, months ago, some of you guys remember this situation. It may have been one of you that was originally talking to a couple of Bible college students from Baton Rouge. And they'd come down, and I can't even remember the reason that they were actually in town, but they found themselves standing there watching us on Bourbon Street. And a couple of really nice young men, really sincere. And they stood there, and I, and I walked up to them, and I said, Hey guys, y'all want to get into this? Y'all want to come preach with us? Whatever else? And they said, oh, no, no, we're not ready for that. Now, this is Bible college students. So this isn't people that just brought up the turnip truck and wandered into the church. This is Bible college students at a Bible college that I know that, that preaches truth. And they said, we're not ready for that. We just don't know enough word because these people out in the streets, they know a lot more Bible than we do and others tear us up. And I asked them a simple question. I said, who told you that they knew all this information? And they just kind of looked at me kind of, you know, strange. And I said, because they really don't. I said, just because some lost person or some atheist tells you that they know something about the Bible, they don't really mean they do. And, you know, maybe they can grab their phone and they can Google the top ten uh, things to ask Christians, whatever else. But, folks, listen, you know, people in church don't know the Bible, let alone somebody on the streets. You know, most people that, that, that frequent uh, uh, religious services on a regular basis don't spend any time outside of their service. So their, their Bible, they carry it like a prop. And so they carry it in and, hey, honey, where's my... With my Bible, just like somebody would say, where's my umbrella when it's going to rain? And people say, where's my Bible? Like they're asking, you know, for an umbrella when I'm going to church. And so most people just do not know that. But when he begins to describe that church in Galatia, he's not describing it like that. He's describing it as a church that had an intimate knowledge of him. I think about Matthew chapter 7, which is often quoted, and we talk about it. And lost people quote Matthew 7 a lot, and just that, that little tiny portion that, uh, that says don't judge. They don't, they don't really quote the rest of it. But you know, in that portion of Scripture, he goes on to say that many people are going to say, listen, we did cast out devils and we prophesied and we did miraculous works. And you remember what he's going to say to them? What did he say? A real question. I never, I, never, I never really knew you or I never was intimate with you. I never consummated that marriage. That there was a betrothal, obviously. There was an interest in that relationship. But just like in Matthew 125, where it says that Joseph at that point had not known Mary. There had never been a consummation. He'd been betrothed to her. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry her. But at that point, the marriage had not, not in that covenant relationship had never really been ratified through intimacy. 
And folks, you see that a lot of times. You see people that have put a particular interest in God. And a lot of people, you know, at some type of Christian stadium events, and even in, in your lesser church services, you know, they're called up and there's an emotional response. And they have a, an interest. It's kind of like uh, Ryan and Emily, you know, they went by. Did you get to look at your, your house you're moving into? Got to move into it? I mean, you didn't get to move into it. You got to look at it, right? Now, you put a contract on it. Did they ask you to put some earnest money or anything down on that? Put earnest money down? Have they handed you the keys yet? Well, see, that's what most people's relationship with Jesus looks like. Looks just like that. You can go by, and as long as somebody's there to let you in, you got to look at it, right? But if they're not there, they're the ones that still hold the keys. Now, you're not going to be satisfied with that. You know, Emily, I can tell you what, she's not going to be satisfied with making a trek all the way across the country, what, what you have, 1,400, 1,500 miles, and, and living out of boxes, you know, and just driving by every once in a while and waving at that house. But folks, the unfortunate reality is, is most people that claim a, a relationship with Jesus are okay with that. They'll live out of a box, so to speak, and they'll go by and wave at the house, and they'll tell people how great the house is because they put down earnest money. But the earnest money, when you begin to do the math, it nowhere comes close to paying for the house. All it is is saying, listen, if you don't go through with this, we got a few bucks to put in our pocket and we can go eat lunch on or something of that nature. But it's not a significant amount in regards to the purchase price. But folks, this church in Galatia wasn't just an earnest money church. It was, wasn't a church that just drove by every once in a while and told people what they would do if they really took possession. This was a church that had walked in intimacy. This is the church that had paid the price. And that's why it's so severe. That's why when we looked at that first chapter, he told me, listen, I'm just, I'm amazed that you're, you're so soon departed from the gospel, from the faith to another gospel. It's not even a gospel at all. And so this church was now under assault by a group of, of, of professing Christians. You know, they were obviously Jewish converts to Christianity, and, and we call them, refer to them as the Judaizers. In other words, these people that had brought people to, uh, 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 to, to, that had been brought to Christ, but somehow they wanted to hold on to those old things that they had. And folks, listen, sometimes Christians are just as bad as the Judaizers. You know what, when you, went to, when you came to Christ, were you stronger or were you weak in regards to morality? You were weak, right? You, you, you were probably excessively weak. And so it wasn't in most cases that, that once you said, uh, you, 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 maybe you prayed that prayer, that sinner's prayer, and said, Jesus, I, I, I believe in my heart that God raised you from dead, I'm going to be saved. And boom, all of a sudden, man, you never had an evil thought again, and, and you never had the desires or whatever else. Did, did, did that happen to anybody? You know, I saw, I, I, I remember that there was a change, but you know what? There was still a battle that I had to fight. You know what I'm saying? But you know what? I didn't want to just keep that weakness. I didn't want to just adhere to those, still those struggles in the flesh. But folks, listen, that's what they wanted to do. So their, their Judaism or their Judaizers, uh, if they wanted to keep something from their past and bring it into that relationship with God because it meant something to them. Now folks, listen, here in this room, uh, chances are, except maybe for Roy, none of us are from a, a, from a Jewish background, I said it jokingly, but, uh, but, but we're not. And so we didn't bring that element in. But think about the elements that we bring into that relationship with God, that elements of weakness, so to speak. And, and so they wanted to bring something in to, that, that, to the equation that held on to something in the past. But how many of you know that any man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back and tries to bring something from the past, the word says that he's not fit for the kingdom. Now, folks, I'm not talking about a kingdom that comes with observation, as Jesus so aptly described. He said that the kingdom of heaven is inside of you. And so if I'm looking back at my flesh, trying to hold on to something to that, I'm not fit or I'm not ready 
for the transformation that's taking place on the inside. And so just like those Judaizers tried to bring something back. Why? Because they didn't see power in the transformation. All they saw was something that kept them hemmed in through the law. And they thought, listen, if that's the best that we have, we want that also to be the best that you have as well. Folks, listen, I don't want, some, I don't want somebody else's failure to be the basis that I build my relationship with God on. I don't want just because somebody else said I couldn't do it. I don't want to come in under the premise of because that person failed in their relationship that I'm, I'm, not, I'm pre, uh, predetermined or, 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 or there's a presupposition that I'm going to fail as well because somebody else did. Folks, listen, you know what? There's good intentions litter the pathway of Christianity so oftentimes. But listen, I want to come in on the foundation of the, it's not just something that a, a football player puts underneath his eyes on game day, the, the, the Philippians 4.13, but I really want to be able to do all things to Christ who gives me the strength. And it's always through Christ who gives me the strength. And so the Apostle Paul, and, and, and really very deliberate we've looked at, and very systematic, what he sought to undo was this undermining uh, uh, to convey a truth to them and to confront an error that made its way into the church. So what we're going to do, we're going to pick up on chapter 4, as the apostle really relates specifically to the Gentiles. He's kind of turning the, the corner just a little bit. He's referring to the Gentiles or the non-Jews that have personally experienced the adoption into the covenant of faith that God had originally obviously made with Abraham and extended to the Gentiles uh, following their rejection uh, of the Messiah and, and being ratified on that day of, uh, of, of the, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so I'm going to read uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12 tonight, and that's what we're going to look at primarily. And here's what he said to them, Paul the Apostle, once again, speaking of that church that had become intimate with him, that had come to that knowledge, he said, before you knew God, before you consummated the relationship, and so it wasn't something that they just, they just caught on the, on the fringes, but he said, before you knew God, and he described who they were, you were slaves to the so-called gods that do not even exist. And in verse 9, he says, so now that you know God, or you've been intimate with Him, or like uh, 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 Ryan and Emily are going to have, you're going to get the keys, you're going to get to close the deal, you're going to get to move in. He said, or should I say that God knows you? He said, why do you want to go back and again become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? And in verse 10, he said, you are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. He said, I fear for you. I fear for you. He said, perhaps all of my hard work uh, with you was for nothing. Anybody ever felt that way? Maybe you poured into somebody, even invested in them. And, and folks, it's, it, you know, it's, it's such a reality now that it was even 15, 10, probably 5 or 10 years ago. Because there's people that Billy and I have invested into their lives. People that we've known for, for years and years. And because of the advent of social media and real-time information, we see people that we love. Dearly, that we know we've invested in them. We know what they've tasted. We know that they've testified to the goodness of God. And through whatever it was, and just through a moment that they, they let down their guard and they opened up that doorway, and we, we see that, 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 that they've fallen away from God and they, they, they turned to those, those other things. And so I fear for them. I fear for them more than I fear for a person that's never tasted the, the goodness of God. Because it's better to have never known than to have tasted of His goodness than, than to turn away. Why? Because if we sin willfully after we come to the knowledge of the truth, He said, there doesn't remain any more sacrifice for those sins. So what we've done is we've trampled the blood of Jesus underfoot and we've we put the cross and everything He's done to an open shame. 
And so just as Paul said, I fear for you, perhaps all of my hard work was for nothing. And, and, and I, I tell you, we, Melanie and I t say to ourselves sometimes, we say, listen, man, did, did we just get duped? Did, this, did, did we just get played? And, and, and you'd rather believe that they weren't serious than to believe that they were serious and they willfully walk away. I would rather believe that I failed and given a clear presentation and they never knew than to be confident that I gave a clear presentation, that they came to the knowledge of Christ Jesus, that somehow they thought that they could just thumb their nose at it. I would like to think that they just missed it, or I missed it. You know what I'm saying? But Paul the Apostle said, I fear for you, that he qualifies, and perhaps all of my hard work for you was a nothing. He said, dear brothers and sisters, and listen to this. He said, I plead with you to live as I do in the freedom from these things, for I have become like, uh, like you Gentiles, free from those laws. He goes on. I'm going to go back to verse 8. He said, Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. And folks, listen. When we look at that, the relevance of these passages, I think about it in regards to the application today, and they become more and more apparent to me with each passing week that I think about it. You know, we go out uh, uh, on Tuesdays. We have a team led by Pastor Joe that, that puts together a great lunch. This past week, you had what, pork chops or something, and green beans and rice or, or something. I mean, really a nice a nice lunch. And they pack these things up and then take them out to the homeless. Okay, they do that. And they minister to them. Then I take a group out, or, or usually it's me and Ben, we go, to, we go to Canal Street and we set up right there in front of the McDonald's and we just open air preach. We don't, we don't have an ice chest full of water. We don't have any food. I, I don't know what we are, second class citizens or something. They get all the good stuff over there. They're the nice people. And we sit there and we preach. Now, folks, i got news for you. Every once in a while, you'll see a guy with an umbrella on top of his head, and he'll sit there on a thing, and he'll preach, sitting down, and, and he's out there, and he becomes a fixture. True story. We, we met him. A nice enough guy. He's out there, but for the most part, you don't see people out there doing what we're doing. And so we set up in a very strategic place, a place that Mel and I mapped out a long time ago, and it just echoes down the corridors of, of Canal Street. We've had people cross the street and say, listen, man, I was way down the road, and, and man, I heard something, I had to cross over here and see what was going on. And so we deliberately set up at that place, and we're pumping out this volume in two different directions. It's carrying all the way down to, to the hotel, the nice hotel that's got the, uh, uh, the valet service, and the people are out there getting their luggage and bags, all the way past all of these Muslim-owned shops that these people are going on. This past week, we had the Rastafarians out there, angry because we were preaching. So we're very deliberate. But folks, you know what gets me, and it really, uh, it, it really makes me fear for people, is, you know what, because what we're doing is not normal, because we're not just a fixture, it amazes me, it grieves me when people can walk by and hear such a presentation of truth and ignore it, and ignore it. What has happened to this nation? Folks, it's no different than what we see unfolding in, in, in the church of Galatia. What has happened to a people? There's a, there's a, a friend of mine on Facebook that that's, uh, also had lived in here and went to the same Bible college many years ago. Christopher Gregory, maybe some of you guys are, are friends with him on Facebook. But he's now, he's married to a Chinese national. He, they live in China and they do ministry. And he said that he, he was looking at a video that some, somebody uh, uh, was preaching on YouTube. It's it a young lady preaching. It wasn't one of our team. But he said he was looking at that, and he said it grieved him to watch the preaching on that video. He said, what the preaching? Preaching was good. He said what grieved him was the indifference that people had. 
He said this person was preaching with a passion, preaching the word, and people walked by like they didn't even hear it. He said, here I am in China. He said, I've had opportunities to go into places in communist China and preach. He said, if there were the earshot of you preaching there, he said, everyone stops and listens. He said, now they may be disagreeing with you in the Chinese language with their friend. He said, but it is such, it is so different. It is something that causes people to stop in their tracks in what is called a godless country. A godless country that's never known that's never been exposed to the truth, that, that Christianity was outlawed. And you think about great times of persecution, the, the Boxer Rebellion, where, where Christians in the early uh, uh, 1900s were, were wholesale slaughtered, and they tried to totally eliminate Christianity from, from China. All of these things happened. But he said, you preach the gospel in that nation, and he said, people that are passers-by will stop in their tracks to hear what you're saying because they value something being spoken, which is true. But folks, think about just how people have become desensitized. That's what I'm talking about, the relevance of that message in Galatia today. He's talking about these people. Before you knew God, you were slaves to those gods. So now that you know Him, what has happened to the people that have known God, that claim whatever type of affiliation on the street by canal as we preach, and, 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 and maybe it's Catholicism, maybe it's some Protestant faith, or, or some type of exposure. But they can walk by and set their faces ahead of them and, and not even take a second glance to look over when they hear the preaching of the gospel. Folks, we look at those that have departed from the faith and given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And folks, if it was real then in the book of Galatia, it's even more so real now. There's people that have wholesale departed from knowing and loving and seeking after God. And so we read in the Word and we somehow... It, it's, it's almost like we, we read the Word in, in almost like a detached manner at times. It, you know, it, it utilizes these terminologies, these circumstances that, that don't seem relative to our situation. And think about it just for a second. He's talking, he said, you Gentiles, you know, well, we don't typically use that terminology. We know what it is. We're, we're, we're Christianized enough. We know the vernacular. But when he's talking about Gentiles here, he's talking about pagans. People that were serving some false god. Maybe it's an earth god. Maybe it's something else. And so because of our being brought up in this nation, at least built upon or at least familiar with uh, Judeo-Christian beliefs, when, when we hear that, we don't see the severity of it. We don't see the severity that we're talking about people that were pagan, that were godless people, just like we were without Christ Jesus. And the mercy and the goodness of God to reach down in that place and save and transform people. Folks, it's no less, it's no less a severe situation than for us being willing week after week and month after month and, and year after year to go into a godless environment like Bourbon Street and preach to a people that are largely indifferent, but we just keep going back. And folks, that's what God did. It was the people that were largely indifferent to Him. There was a hostility towards the things of God, but He was just relentless in His approach to the, to the degree that He said, listen... If all of those miracles that I showed them by delivering from them from bondage, if all of those miracles that I showed them by, by speaking the words of the prophets, by all of those enormous truths that I gave them that, that set them apart, even in the delivery of the law and the miracles they saw associated with that. Listen, what I'm, I'm going to be even more relentless. And I'm going to come down God. Don't you see how we get disattached even from the word? Do you not realize that God came down God came down, God the Spirit, 
The creator of the universe who holds it all in the span of his hand, the one that with the blast of his nostrils could eliminate everything in a moment. It would be like it had never existed. That God that created all things, that by him and for him, for his good pleasure, said, listen, I'm going to do something that I don't have to do. I'm going to come down and I'm going to take on the form of sinful flesh and for sin. And God is going to suffer at the very hands of his creation. Folks, you see how desensitized we even get to the, to the price that he paid for us? And folks, the arrogance that's coming to us thinking that we deserve something. But he went to Gentiles, to godless people, people that in the beginning he created. They became the offspring and the offshoot of, of sinful man and the image of man. And God said, I want to do something that's going to bring them back into relationship and to the image of God. Gentiles. And folks, listen, we look at them and we think about how they've abdicated that place. And folks, we do it many times, even sitting in churches, and we forget how great of a price that he paid for us and what it took. God placing himself, coming down in the form of a servant, humbling himself even to the death of the cross of Calvary. Folks, how on earth, how on earth could I ever shake my fist or complain after knowing that? How can I, going through a few measly hardships in my life, somehow think that I got a raw deal? Folks, in the great scope of things, the only one that could have got a raw deal, but he didn't because it was on his own volition. Nobody took his life. He gave it would be Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, who came down as a healer, as a Savior, and through the murderous actions of a cruel people, was crucified for us. Folks, so when he says you Gentiles, before you Gentiles even had the chance to be intimate with God, he said you were in slavery. Folks, listen, we don't have anything to really relate to that. Certainly we see the aftermath of it. We know that in this nation, until the late 1800s, it was something that impacted people, and people are still riding that pony. But folks, there's not a single person uh, in any of our families that, that, uh, uh, that are alive today and probably for the last few generations that had anything to do with that. Period. Well, we're not. But you know what? There's the, the, the sin. All that stuff seems to still hold on to it. And you think about uh, the, the, the effects and people say, listen, our ancestors. Well, I, don't, I couldn't tell you what my ancestors were doing. I'm sure some of them were held in bondage. Some of them suffered. Probably some of them held people in bondage. There's, there's no doubt about that. But folks, listen, in our day and age, in our culture, listen, even the, 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 the person that enjoys the least amount of freedom, the level of freedom that they enjoy is far more surpassed than anything somebody experienced 150 years ago. You see what I'm saying? The great liberties that we have, the benefits that every single one of us enjoy, regardless of your socioeconomic standing or, or skin color, what we enjoy in this nation far surpasses any other thing. But still yet, when we look at slavery, that was the type of bondage that they were, he was talking about. That he also talks about that demonically fueled belief system that they had. That that's really what it came down to. Because such things as, as Satanism and witchcraft, and you go into the corner and you see people uh, uh, reading palms, you know, all of those things, it, it, even though we see that stuff, we see the, the demonic movies, and that stuff is still fringe. You know what I'm saying? That stuff is not mainstream for us. We've been in places, we've been in churches, 
accidentally, uh, that, that, that were teaching St. Doria. I mean, we went in there, we, we saw the, 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 the strange gods and the altars and saw the things that they were doing. But still, yet we saw that as fringe. You know, I've never seen a, a, a mega church pastor uh, uh, preaching and practicing those type of things. It's usually in the darkness. It's something, some clandestine type of environment that they're in. It's never something that's still yet in the mainstream. But the alarming reality is that these same elements that sought to enslave the church at Galatia, folks, listen, they're alive today. They're just rebranded to fit into our modern culture. There's been this rebranding of things. Think about it. All of these things. How about humanism? You know, it's, what it's done is provided this for this designer gods to be made. And so they, they've made their way into the mainstream, and people with an unwillingness to simply just wholesale uh, abandon the idea of God, what they've done, they still made gods after themselves and their own desires, their sins, and their, their, their rebellion, their, their, their desires. And these gods, uh, they're, they're not named Baal or Beelzebub or Hadad or Molech or uh, Tammuz or any of those, those gods that were in that area at that time. They're not named that. We call them tolerance. We call them coexist. We call those gods relevance or self-respect or conformity. That's the gods that we do. And it's simply just a, a flesh speak for idolatry. So all those things that we raise up and we build these idols to in our life today, it's, it's still just our flesh saying, I want to recognize something because I'm, I'm not willing to put down a God, so I want to build another God. It really is it's kind of an echo of Exodus 32 when it, it says that the children of Israel, that they, they got tired of waiting on this Moses. Because this Moses went up to talk to the real God. It says they got tired, so they went to Aaron, the high priest, and they said, make us a God that we can follow because we're tired of waiting on that God that we don't seem to be able to follow. And it says that he made them a God out of their valuables, their bracelets and their earrings, or he made them a God out of their values. Folks, isn't that what many people today are making a God out of? I want a God that doesn't share in my valuables, but he shares in my values. And so they grew impatient. They demanded something. So what we do is we do the same thing. And so humanism, what about even religion in itself? You know, I'm talking not just mainstream, but, but otherwise. You know, it's ensnared people. It's brought them into slavery. And we know about the bondages of things that come about through Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism and, and Taoism and all these things. But, but there's stuff that's more dangerous than that. What about in this area, Catholicism? I'm okay. I'm a Catholic. Hey, what's God been speaking to you? I'm okay. I'm a Catholic. Hey, how you doing with your walk with the Lord? I'm okay. I'm a Baptist. I've been baptized. Folks, listen, it doesn't really matter. And so we, we get some of these things we see people being affected of that we know personally, the Hebrew Roots movement that says we're going we're gonna to go back in order to go forward. You know, how much sense does that make? Or, or what about the Hebrew Israelites, this racist response to British Israelism? And so if they say, hey, listen, if you say, if, if, if British Israelism and even the Mormons up until, I believe, 1978 said that, that blacks were uh, the curse and they were Hamites or whatever else. And so what we're going to do is we're going to counter that by saying, no, it's not the blacks that don't have an inheritance. It's anybody that's not of color that doesn't have an inheritance. Don't you see the wickedness of all those things? Uh, the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, you know, they denied the deity of Christ. They've they made him a created being. Or, or what about even uh, more close to home to some of us because we've seen, what about the hyper-grace movement? That this says that grace is a, a license to sin. Folks, listen, that's how that religion holds people into bondage. Folks, listen, I know people that have bought into that, and what they've done is they've, they, they, the, those that knew God suddenly find themselves back into bondage because of some 
a preacher by the name of Prince or whatever on television. So it must be okay because he's famous. It must be okay because he's selling the books. And what we've done is we've brought them back into a yoke of bondage. Or what about the, the once saved, always saved message? Folks, listen, I, I grew up around that. I grew up uh, uh, as a, as, of all things, as strange as it would be, as, as a once saved, always saved uh, uh, influenced uh, person with a Pentecostal background. Well, they had to believe that because they live like the devil. And so if they would have stayed with their Pentecostal roots and believing that God has given man a, a, a free will, all of the uncle and stuff that they said was born with a veil over his face or, or this one that was a, a complete drunk that they say, well, you know what? If, as long as they trained up in the way they should go, the, when they're old, they won't depart from it. They, they couldn't come to realize that that person that died of cirrhosis of the liver cursing God all the way into the grave wasn't somehow held in check and sealed until the day of redemption. And he blasphemed the name of God that he was okay. Or the person that put their, the, 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 the selfish one that put the gun to their head or, or overdosed. And somehow they've got to be okay because I remember when they were a little old boy at summer camp. They prayed the right prayer and they did the right thing. Folks, listen, that is a bondage straight from the pits of hell that's infiltrated the mainstream church in this nation and beyond. And we've exported it to the world. And folks, we look and we shake our head at what happened in the Galatian church under the ministry of Paul. Folks, listen, it's just rebranded itself. And somehow we've made it okay. What about the, the, the Calvinism, enslaved people to, to man rather than to God? You know what? I'm predestined to this or I'm predestined to that. And, and we, 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 we forget about all these things where God tells us to choose. All the way back into the old covenant, choose you to stay who you will serve. And he gives us the attributes of God, that free will, moral agency, or the right, the ability for self-determination, and all these things that somehow we think that we backed God into the proverbial corner because we prayed the right prayer and we did the right thing, or somehow we're we're part of the elect that, that somebody else isn't aware. Folks, you see the sinister nature of all of those things, and the thing that's sacrificed in every bit of those religious things is a relationship with Jesus. That's what it is. And so rather than having a definitive relationship with God that bears witness, like Romans says, the Spirit itself, not hyper grace, not Calvinism, not my Pentecostal background, not my Baptist back, uh, baptism, none of those things are what bears a witness, but the Spirit itself bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. Not because I say it, but because I live it. In the fruit of the Spirit, the, the manifestation of the qualities of God come out of my life and they bear witness. That's the rest of Matthew 7. You know a tree by the fruit that it bears. And so you know I'm a child of God. Why? Because of the way I talk, the way I live, the desires of my heart, my willingness to make sacrifices, the fact that, that somebody don't have to make me pray or read, or, or read the Word. Those are the things that my appetite is wet with those desires. Folks, that's the condition that he's addressing. Listen, you, you've known him. You were enslaved, but you have now known him. And now look what he's done for you. He told the Galatians, he said, listen, before I came and revealed the truth, you were slaves to so-called gods that did not even exist. And the only power that any of these things had over you was the power that your own will gave to these things through your defiance against the living God. Folks, listen, how do we do the same thing? That our defiance against God makes God powerless to do anything in our life. And there, there is a power, obviously. He's called the prince and the power of the air. Or, you know, today it's the airwaves. You think about the entertainment industry. You don't think the devil's got a foothold in that? 
Movies, music, sports, or what about the fashion industry? Everybody's chasing the latest thing and the latest style. Folks, listen, when they're paying thousands of dollars for a purse, you've got to be kidding me. You write coach on the bag and now it's ten times more valuable. Folks, you stick a bunch of junk in it, it wears out and you throw it in the trash, you get another one, really? Thousands of dollars for it? And every one of them look ugly to me. Sorry, ladies. Politics. Oh, we get so bent out of shape. Oh, we need to have a special, uh, 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 a special prosecutor. We need to do this and all this nonsense that constantly filling the, the airways. So we hope he appoints the right person. We can't believe he did this. What about pornography? Accessibility 24-7, 365 on your smart, smartphones, your tablets, your computers. All these people enslaved by all of these things, the prince and the power of the air, advertising campaigns, all of this junk that is smattered about everywhere, folks, that it ensnares and enslaves people. People plan their lives around the opening night of some blockbuster movie. I hear people talking about that. Hey, uh, where are you going to be July 4th? Well, why? Because didn't you know this, the, the third part in some sequel or whatever is coming out? Folks, but we'll make plans to touch a lost and dying world with the gospel. But we'll make plans months in advance on something like that. Or they'll stay up all night to buy TV on sale during Black Friday, but they won't stay up an hour later at night or get up an hour earlier to seek the face of God. Now, what's up with that? They'll drop $50 a month for unlimited data plans, but we'll drop 50 cents in an offering box. Folks, I remember when I was a kid, if my parents, and my parents weren't people that radically served God, but if they ever heard that a friend of ours, his father, subscribed to Playboy magazine, we were never allowed back in their house. Period. If somehow they got wind in the neighborhood that such and such, oh, the postman said, oh, yeah, I can't believe I delivered Playboy down to that guy's house and your kids play with him. Folks, listen, that word got out. We would never be able to step into the place. Why? Because if anybody got that garbage delivered to their house, certainly there was some pedophile. And my mom would say, listen, that, that pervert down the street that's looking at naked women, you think I'm going to let my kids go into that house? Folks, you see how we've reduced the standard so much? But folks, that stuff is inundating people. And you know what? Man, we didn't think it was anything bad. We said, yeah, Mom, you're right. Man, they probably are. And man, you you, you did, definitely didn't look at, at people that did things like that. And God, it had the audacity and the brazenness to have it dropped in their mailbox. Don't you see how wicked and perverse everything has become? Now those things are mainstream. That anyone standing against that type of slavery has got to be a wacko. If that's the case, call me a wacko. Call me fringe for standing for some type of principle that the church at Galatia and the Apostle Paul was warning those folks about. Before you knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that did not even exist. But now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you. But see, that's what a relationship with God is, and that's what he was telling them. Listen, it wasn't, just, it wasn't just the fact that you know God or you have the information, but something happened. You weren't just intimate with God, but now God's intimate with you. Because my sheep know my voice, and another they will not follow. Why? Because I know that he inclines his ear to listen to those that are righteous, but he turns his face away from those that do evil, it's sin that separates us from God, but I just don't want to know who God is. I want God to know me. I want Him to know me 
to such a degree that he's willing to write my name in his book. Not like the back page of your high school annual where your friends put that and you never saw him again. But when he says, like Isaiah 43, he says, I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. I know you. Folks, I know God. And I know he knows me. I know he knows me. Because there's no way I could be who I am. There's no way I could think the way I do. There's no way I could, I could have experienced the victories over the sinister hell that the world would throw at me if I didn't know him and he didn't know me. There's no way that I could keep it together with all of the things that this world throws at every single one of us if I didn't have that relationship, period. Man, I would be the biggest, most wicked, self-centered, prideful, arrogant, uh, ambitious person that you've ever met without Jesus. And that's how I know I know him. Because before I knew him, I knew me. But I know what he did. And I know him. And I know the fellowship that I have with him. Paul was warning this church and saying, you knew him. Don't you remember what he rescued you from? Don't you remember who you were? Don't you remember every thought and all those things in your life violated everything that you know is so right? Folks, when I read that and I think about what Paul had been laboring over because, you know, he had birthed those out of his, the loins of his own ministry into that place and now to see them, that they, they, they were enemies of God. They were enslaved to those things. They did not even know that, that the God of heaven existed. He said, why do you want to go back and become slaves once more. He said, slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world. The word weak, it literally means that which lacks the adequate strength to overcome something. Folks, this is what the modern mainstream sense in the church of today is really more committed to the power of sin to control them than they are the power of God to deliver them. Folks, you've had the argument so many times. You sit around our teaching for any length of time. You know, we believe that Jesus is enough to bring us victory. I don't believe Jesus died and hung up on the cross just to leave me, just that, that slobbering sinner that never has any power. I believe when I got born again, I got changed. He changed my heart. He changed my mind. He changed everything about me. And to think that modern Christianity has reduced the blood body uh, sacrifice that he made to some balance of the pastel pink breaks my heart. When I hear people say, listen, I'm just a, a Christian that goes into and, and frequents churches and serves on church boards or sings in their choir says, listen, I'm just human. Well, what about Jesus? I'm going to fail. I'm going to sin every day. But what about Jesus? What about serving him every day? What about trusting him every day? What about relying upon him to give you the victory every, every day? Is his blood so meaningless to you? Was it, was it such a measly sacrifice that Jesus died upon the cross that, that he's powerless to keep you, that he can't? He lied and said he's able to commit those, keep those things that we commit to him. He's really not. He doesn't give you the ability and the power to overcome. That's what, that's what it says. First John 5, 4. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. When the Son of God returns, he's not going to look for good intentions, folks. He says, will he find faith on the earth? 
when we find the people that know him or know by him. When we find the people that have a full of God in this, but somehow they found themselves more committed to the slavery, just like the Galatians did, rather than the freedom that we have for the blood of Jesus. Why have the church said like the disciples did? God, increase our faith. Increase our faith, Lord God. If I don't have the faith, increase my faith, Lord God. Help me to believe more what you said more than what I see, Lord God. Let it, let your word be my reality. Let my relationship with you be the reality that I see and that I know. You said they become weak, they become useless. Maybe your translation uses the word beggarly. It means one who crouches or cowers away. Folks, the church has become a haven of cowards. The church is a coward to stand against sin. They're a coward to stand up to the, to the culture. Cowards to, to, to stand up for their families and to stand up for the name of Jesus. They're cowards. Instead of becoming the intimidators, we're becoming intimidated. Proverbs 21, 8, 28, 1, you know it well. It says, The wicked are those who flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Folks, when we get a revelation of knowing God and Him knowing us and freeing from the slavery, there's something that rises up inside of us. It's not because we have a precarious personality or anything else. It's not because we're the captain of the football team. It's because there's something inside of us that wasn't derived from the flesh or ambition or or, 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 the, or the, the lambskin we have hanging on our, our wall from the right college. It's something that came out of heaven. It was deposited inside of us. It's something that the world cannot see. They can't identify. But they, they can't deny something's there that makes us different, even if they have to call what they can't see and what they don't understand just crazy and fringe and out of our mind. There's something there that makes them have to take notice and so rather than acknowledging it, they're just assuming Lord and acting it's really not there. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was, and it still is the power of God and the salvation of everyone that believes. God, if I ever get to the place that I don't believe, I say, God, help my unbelief. In whatever area it was, God, if I've compartmentalized an area of my life, help my unbelief, Lord God. If there's been a, a place that I've allowed the prince and the power of the air, Lord God, to come in, help my unbelief, Lord God. Father, I don't want to be one of those people that knew you and find himself once again ensnared and enslaved in the yoke of bondage, Lord God. But I know it's for freedom, Lord God, that you've made me not to do freedom, Lord God, but to be free. But he said, you're trying now to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years or going to church or joining the right group or having the right shirt or, or listening to the right preacher. Folks, listen, none of those things impress God. None of those things impress Him. I can say I got dunked in a certain amount of water or I said the right thing or I belonged to the right convocation or whatever it may be. And folks, none of those things are going to gain favor for me with God. Folks, what's going to gain favor is me humbling myself in the sight of the living God and believing what He said because I believe what He did. That's what gains me favor. That's where the favor of the Lord is, is having the audacity to believe that God is God 
He sits on the throne of glory, and under no circumstance or situation is he going to move over for anyone. Folks, that's where I get the favor of God. Colossians 2.16, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or what celebrating certain holy days or new moons or, or ceremonies or Sabbath. Look at these people every year. Christmas time. They go in and talk about all these tree worshipers and stuff. Yeah, folks, I have a tree in my house. But I serve Jesus. I preach righteousness. I pray in tongues. I cast out devils. You know why? And I tell you what, just a little tree for my grandkids to look at the twinkling lights and me to put a gift underneath there. I tell you what, does not diminish my, my relationship with Jesus uh, in, in any iota. Period. You know what? I don't get all bent out of shape because somebody puts a bonnet on their head every year during during Easter time. I don't personally refer to it as that, but you know what? I'm not sitting there thinking, who can I jump on on Facebook or something else? Because don't you know that's some uh, pagan god of fertility? Folks, listen, I got I got uh, bigger access to grind than that stuff. Let's somebody else battle on all those type of things. You're celebrating a birthday. Oh, that's, I thought, no, it's not. It's just I love my family. I love my kids. I love my, my friends. And if I buy you a gift card to go eat you a steak on your birthday, praise God for it. You know, that's 25 bucks. I'm just glad you had another year to serve God. But folks, people get so bent out of shape and all these things trying to gain the favor of God and looking at these things and they don't even know Him. They don't even have a relationship with Him. Otherwise, there'd be an urgency in their spirit to do something with that relationship. I fear for you. Perhaps all of my work was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. Is that Him boasting? Well, yeah, that was Him boasting. He was boasting in the Lord. He said, follow me elsewhere as I follow Christ. Folks, listen. He was willing to say, I want you to live like I live. Folks, if you can't say that, you need to check yourself and see how you're living. Every single one of us need to live a type of life that we're not embarrassed or ashamed or reluctant or hesitant on any level to say, listen, live like I live. Live the way I do and I'm confident that you're going to be okay. Because if you can't say that, you got to ask who you're living for and what you're living about. Folks, that's where he wants to bring us. Then we're not ashamed. Then we have a confidence. Then we're not looking to hide behind some bondage, whether it's humanism or religion or some other fallacy that, that we've adhered to. Folks, I want to be able to say, I want you to live as I live in the freedom from these bondages, for I've become like you. Even like a Gentile that did not even have the law. Folks, that was the challenge then. And you know what? It's no less. And probably even a greater challenge for every one of us that we face here and now because, once again, our culture is inundated with those things that, 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 that just all they did is rebranded that stuff in a plethora of things to appeal to our fleshly nature. But folks, I'm here to tell you, listen, we serve a God who can do everything but fail. Who is still in the business of breaking the chains of bondages off of people's lives, still in the, the, in, the, in the business of opening the blinded eye, whether that's a, a spiritually blinded or a physically blinded eye. And I believe it's a God that's designed once again to shake the nations and to shake our communities and to, to shake His church. And I believe the judgment will begin at the house of God. And I believe that's a good thing. I believe it's a very, very, very good thing. Father, we just thank You for Your Word tonight, Lord God. Father, we thank You for Your, your faithfulness, Lord God. Father, Your desire... Lord God, to present yourself a glorious, purified church, Lord God, that, that loves you, Lord God, more than anything. And Father, the relationship with you is such, Lord God, that the world and the world of this, Lord God, just absolutely has no appeal whatsoever. Lord God, building these great monuments, Lord God, to self 
Lord God, Father, looks like rubbish, Lord God, to us. And so, Father, we just pray, Lord God, that we be, be found faithful, Lord God, that we'll endure to the end, that, Lord God, you'll be able to present us, Lord God, for your Son. Father, it's a glorious truth, it's a precious blood, Lord God, without spot or blemish. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.